You're listening to one of the sermons preached from Shalom Baptist Chapel, recorded at one of our worship services. Today, we are in the midst of this uh, new series called Entirely New. We are right in the middle today because today is part three of this series called Entirely New. Uh, now, uh, for those of us who have been following this, you know we have learned from the past two uh, sermons that temple thinking is so powerful that it influences us the way we what? View and treat others. Isn't it right? Temple thinking is so powerful. This kind of religious kind of a thinking is so powerful because it influences us, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, the way we view others, the way we treat others. Is this kind of conscience that is in us that is kind of tuned in, or, it's kind of be, or, or, or our conscience is shaped by the temple thinking system? And of course, the temple thinking system, we have already addressed this. Uh, and this is not just for the Jewish, but across all religions in the past and even today. Persian, Egyptian, and so on and so forth. Even as long as it's a temple, as long as it's a religious temple thing, uh, model, uh, you will find this. There are four characteristics in the temple system that you will find that is always a holy place. In a temple system, in a temple structure, uh, there will always be a holy place. That means uh, in the temple system, it is believed that God exists or the presence of God can be found only in a designated place called holy temple. And that's why in the temple thinking system, if people want to meet with God, they will always go to the temple because that's the temple system. That's the way it works. And in the temple, in the holy place, some kind of a holy text or holy oracles will be there. In some cases, in many cases, actually, the, the, the holy oracle or the holy text will be tied around the altar. And this holy text or holy oracle is something that they believe that it is something spoken by God for the people. But who has the access? The people? No. Only the holy man who is serving in the temple. And you realize it's only man, no woman. Holy man. And so the holy man will tell, will, only the holy man has the access to the holy text. And he will read and he will determine what it means and he will tell the followers. And so-called the holy or the hardworking followers will try to apply it, will try to obey so as to be blessed by so-called God. So the holy followers will come to the holy men to listen from the holy text in a holy place. That's the system of the temple. That's what we have been talking about. But you realize that this is the whole point of the entirely new series. When Jesus came, he put an end to that temple system. No more. No more temple system in Jesus Christ. And he introduced one that is entirely, entirely new. Entirely new. Entirely new because he introduced a new movement. When Jesus arrived, he introduced a new movement called Ecclesia. And this ecclesia is not supposed to be a place, but it's supposed to be a group of people, called out people, people of God. Of course, the English translation that we have is church, which is a bad rendition of the Greek word ecclesia, because the word church is derived from the German word, which means what? House of the Lord. 
So it's referring to our place. But when Jesus predicted the movement outside the Philippus Caesarea with his disciple, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to, I am predicting a new movement that will come, a place. No, Jesus said, a people, ecclesia, a congregation. And that's what we are today. And that's why this building doesn't matter. This place doesn't matter. This place is just a place to gather. This is not the church. The church is you and I. And Jesus, when he came, he also introduced, he gave new meaning to the text. He gave new meaning to the text. Of all the Old Testament that has been, he reinterpreted and he gave new, totally new, brand new meaning and new significance to what has happened in the old times and new significance now beginning from Jesus Christ. What are some of the new ways of life? A new way of life. Jesus reduced the whole Old Testament to a single verb that will be applied with God and with others. That's the new way that Jesus introduced. And in this, the Apostle Paul came in picture, right? Uh, the Apostle Paul is someone, as you know, that he was a murderer of the followers of Christ. He was the Pharisee of all the Pharisees, uh, but somehow the Lord met, met up with him and he became one of the greatest followers. In fact, he was one of the greatest uh, apostles uh, in the first century. And he wrote many letters in the New Testament and I think part of the reason why you, are, you and I are Christians today is because of his letters that has been preserved and read and understood and applied in our lives. And that's why we are Christians. And remember last week we said Paul simply just nailed it. In this new movement, he said the only thing that matters, the only thing that is of value, the only thing that counts is your faith in Jesus Christ expressed itself through love. The only thing that matters, the only thing that counts before God is your faith in Jesus Christ that has been expressed, that has been demonstrated through your love. That means you may believe in Jesus. You may have all the right words. You may have all the right doctrine. You may have all the right belief system, but it doesn't matter until and unless it is expressed through love. And that's why the only thing that counts is not your faith in Jesus, but your faith in Jesus being expressed through love, through your love for one another. In other words, if we were to paraphrase this one, Paul is simply saying is this, Paul is simply saying, the only thing that is of value is how you treat one another, is how you treat others. Not only to the Galatians, but even to the Corinthians, he said something along this line. But interestingly, uh, he referred the word temple here. And I think this was quite significant. <laughs> when he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, Guys, dear church, do you not know that your bodies are temples? And guess what? For us, it means nothing, right? Like, mm, okay. But imagine at that time when they heard this one from Paul, Pharisee of the Pharisees, imagine what would be going in their minds. Like, Paul, are you mad? I think Paul have lost his mind. What talking you? Our bodies are the temples. Paul, look outside. Look at the mountain. The temple is there. What talking you? We are the temple. We are the body. We are human being. We are not temple. 
the temple is there. Can't you see? And Paul is saying, yes, I know, I know. But that temple system is no more in Christ Jesus. I know there is a temple out there, but in Christ Jesus, there is no more temple system. There is no more temple thinking. And in Christ Jesus now, you are the temple of God. You are the temple of God because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells in you, which you have received from the Father. And that means now, for you to experience the presence of God, you don't have to go up on the mountain to the temple because God doesn't exist only there. The presence of God is now, now no more in the temple alone, but now God's presence is in you because in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit now takes residence in you. And that's why the holy place is no more temple, the holy place is the people of God. If you want to experience God, we must relate with one another. That's why circle life is important. That's why small group life is important. If you really want to experience the grace of God, the presence of God, the power of God, then you got to be willing, you got to be willing to take the risk, take the commitment to really do life together with a punch of brothers or a punch of sisters. And some of you, if you think like, really, man? Don't say that until and unless you have given a shot. Try it. This is the way of God for us to experience because the temple of God is now you and me. The presence of God is in us. And as we relay, that's where we experience the presence of God. I mean, this is quite mind-boggling for them at that time. It's like, huh, Paul? And Paul is saying, I know. I know it's hard. But this is what it means. When Jesus came, he put an end to the old system, old thinking system. Old thinking system is you want to experience God, you, you must go to the temple. And for us, even today, some of us have that, some of us has that temple thinking for you, for, for us to experience God, you must go and worship God on Sunday. That's a temple thinking system. So it's entirely new. It's entirely new. So, in the first, second, third century, the church had a good start. It was magnificent. I tell you, in the first, first, second, third centuries, if you read the history, the first three centuries, I tell you, Christians were the most powerful and most influential people at that time. And everybody wants to be Christian because they just couldn't take their eyes off the Christians at that time. Was it because they believed the right system? Was it because whoa, the way they sang? Was it because the way they said about the theology, about the doctrines of the Old Testament, of the temple thinking? No. It was simply because they saw the love for God in their love for one another and for others. In the first, th first, second, third century, people, whenever they see Christians, they would see loving their enemies. They would see 
children around, they will just take in children. They will see soldiers wounded, whether they're enemies or not. They will just take into their house and they will just serve them. They will love them. And then in the church life, in the early church, they, were, they found so much common among themselves that the ex told, tell, tells us that they sold everything to give to the ones who doesn't have anything. That was the love that people saw in the first, second, and third century. And people were drawn by that, by their love for God displayed through their love for one another and for others. And in the first, uh, second, third century, Christians fear no death because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. The, the thing that hangs the Christianity on balance is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You take away the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the whole of Christianity will tumble down into pieces. And that's why actually 1 Corinthians is an interesting book to learn about that. Maybe later there will be an announcement, but I give you a pre-announcement. I'm going to teach 1 Corinthians at BTS, Baptist Theological Seminaries, for five, four Saturdays, beginning from September 2nd week. So if you are interested, sign up. And here you get to hear from that book. But that was it. That was the first start. That was, that, that was incredible. And guess what? This is a date that you must remember. 7080, the Jewish temple was completely destroyed. It was as if like God was trying to communicate to the you know, people, guys, I sent my son Jesus Christ, you are still not getting it. I am telling through the apostles, you are still not getting it, fine, I will do this. And he kind of allowed you know, the Jewish temple to be completely destroyed. It's as if like God is saying, in my son Jesus Christ, there is no more temple system. It's as if like a message to the whole world. There you go. That's what I mean. That's what Jesus Christ came to do. No more temple system. No more temple thinking. You are the temple of God. God dwells in you. There's no more holy text, no more holy men, no more holy followers. It's just all about following Christ with that love that he has given to us. It's as if like, you know. So, but, but things turned around in the first century Onwards, in 312 AD, Constantine, now you remember the <laughs> Constantine, along with his um, <clears throat> colleague, uh, Emperor, if I'm not mistaken, Maxentius, they were on their way to the battle. And uh, history says that they, they saw, uh, Constantine saw the symbol of cross above the sun. And some say that he heard or some say, the other says that he saw, but he either heard or saw this. In this sign, conquer. In this sign, conquer. And so Constantine stopped, and then he gathered his soldiers, and he started to paint and carve the symbol cross in his sword, shield, horse, everything. And on that day, they, they had a glorious victory. And that's when Constantine became the king, he became the emperor, entire Roman uh, uh, region. And guess what? From that day onwards, the cross, the symbol of cross, shifted 
from being focused on Christ's crucifixion to Christian crucifixion. What do I mean by this? The symbol of cross was no more focusing on the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross, but the cross, the symbol of the cross became when people saw the cross, uh, they, they, they think about how these Christians would go and defeat and, 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 and kill people and take the country. So it was the focus changed from totally from Christ's crucifixion to Christian crucifying or Christian killing or Christian taking over, Christian victory over the battle. That's how the shift started to come about. A year later, Constantine legalized Christianity. Many of you know that, right? Constantine legalized Christianity in the whole region. And guess what? That's when Constantine started to invest in the land. He started to build many churches. He started to build many holy places. Wherever there is a sign, wherever there is, whenever he's informed that, oh, over there, Apostle Paul was buried. Oh, over there, um, Matthew was killed. Oh, over there. Whenever he hears that, that is the place he will build a big church. And he will invest everything. He elevated the bishops. He elevated the pope. He elevated the priests like nobody's business. And uh, the church was exempted from tax. And so guess what? Many rich people started to invest their properties in where? In the churches. And that's how they were exempted from the tax. And rich people got what? Even richer and richer and richer. And many people started to become Christian because why? Very simple. Constantine started to give money to those people who would take orphans. So many people, many Christians started to take orphans because as they bring in orphans in their homes, Constantine will give money. And who doesn't want that? And so that was the shift that came along as it happened. Along the way, there was this controversy in that midst of shifting there was this called, uh, controversy called the alien controversy. Now it's been a bit theological, but I think this will lead us to somewhere. Uh, so let me tell you, the word begotten, remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so there was a controversy. Now the whole controversy was simply this. Arius, the guy called Arius, he started to propagate saying that Jesus was not divine. Jesus was not born God. But Jesus became God at some point in, in, his, in his lifetime. Because of his obedience to the Father, Jesus was made God. And many people said, no, that's not what it is. And one of them who spoke up against Arius is uh, Athanasius. So Athanasius started to also go against, no, Jesus is divine. Jesus has been divine since eternity past. Jesus was born divine. He stayed divine. He died divine. Of course, he gave up the privilege. So there was this controversy. And so guess what? Constantine didn't like it. Of course, you would like it. Hey, I am the emperor, and I'm a Christian, and I made everything Christian. And No, no fighting, no fighting, no fighting. So he called all of them, especially, the, especially Arius and Athenius and all the parties, and he gathered all of them and made a, a, had a council meeting among all these believers at uh, Nicene. And that was the place where uh, the creed uh, was birthed. You know, most of you, I, I, I believe you know the Nicene Creed. That was the result. And so they, were, they debated, they debated, and then finally Athanasius and the rest, uh, his party, his group, won the debate. 
to say that no, Jesus Christ, according to the scripture, Jesus Christ is divine. He was born divine. He was not, he did not become God at some point in, in his life. No, he was always, he has been always God all this while. And guess what? Arius wasn't happy. And so they left, but there was a tension. The tension was still going out there. Okay? And of course, uh, uh, Constantine as the emperor, of course, he believed in the divinity of Jesus Christ. And guess what? <laughs> this, is the, this is the tricky part of the creed, whatever creed will follow, you realize creed actually would be written by, probably would be written by the Pope or the priest. But you know what? Who endorses it is the emperor. So whoever writes the creed, they only write about the belief system. They don't write about the lifestyle because the lifestyle of the emperors are not so good. So the creed, whatever creed, Nicene creed, Apostle creed, whatever, whoever came up with all this, every time the emperor will always endorse it. So those popes who write, they are very careful not to mention about the lifestyle because they know that their lifestyle, an emperor will kill them. <laughs> so that's, that's part of the history. But guess what? <clears throat> uh, the, the controversy was still going around because I, uh, Arius and his, and his group, they still believed that Jesus, was, Jesus became God only at some point in time. So it was so serious that uh, Constantine decided that he will, he, will, he will take it very seriously and he wrote an uh, edict uh, against Arius to the point that he said something like this. He said, I hereby make a public order that if someone should be discovered to have written, hidden a writing composed by Arius and not to have immediately brought it forward and destroyed it by fire, his penalty shall be death. It was that serious. So Constantine made this. Now, what happened? What is the shift going on? Where is the shift leading here? And it's very simple, isn't it? It's very straightforward, isn't it? The shift totally became this. Right believing trumped right behavior. Right liturgy trumped over right lifestyle. That was the shift. That was the shift. Christianity became all of a sudden, the focus of the Christianity was believing the right stuff, having the right doctrines, believing in the right divinity of Jesus Christ. And that was the moment Christians started to go against Christian. That was the moment, I, you know, I mean, look at this. The penalty shall be death. So Christians went against Christian, and if they were caught believing in the wrong thing, they will be punished by death. They were killing each other if anyone is caught believing something wrong. So the right kind of believing mattered as opposed to right behaving. Right liturgy trumped over right living. That was the sad transition. In other words, the, the, the church version of the temple system started to creep in. Before it was a temple, pure temple system. Now there are many churches under Constantine, but it was simply a church version of the temple system. But remember, when Jesus Christ came, he put an end and he introduced an entirely new one. And this entirely new one is not a, is not a kind of like an improvised or improved version of the temple. It was totally new. But guess what? With all this shift, <laughs> yes, we had a church, but it was just a church version of the old 
temple system. And that's when the popes, the bishops, and the priests, they were elevated. They were given the authority, they were given the power to say whatever they want to say based on the holy text that was in the church. And the popes and the bishops and the priests, they were feared by the kings, they were feared by the people because only they have the access to the holy text, to the Bible, to the scriptures. And so people will still come to the church to listen from the Pope what God wills and what God wills not. And so finally, the church version of the holy temple is that holy men, the Pope, the priest, the bishops, holy men determine, holy men dictated, holy men dictated what God wills and wills not. It was a relapse just in the form of a church. To the point that in the 11th century, in the 11th century, Pope Urban II, Pope Urban II introduced the first crusade. I'm sure many of you are familiar with crusade. Not a good thing because crusade simply means killing a lot of people in the name of God. So Pope Urban II he told the crusaders, he said, gather around here. I have a word from God. It is God's will for you, for us, to go and chase away those people taking the holy land. Go, your sins will be forgiven. You can go and kill as many people. It's okay because God wills it. And well, when the crusaders heard that from the pope, what do they do? They go all the way. They go all the way, savaging people. They have no second thought of killing. They will just go see anyone, poof, because they know that their sins are forgiven, and they, they believe according to the holy men saying, it is God's will, go and kill. Go and clear the holy uh, city where people, the Muslims and the others, are taken over. And they went on. And guess what? As they went on, the crusaders thought, well, if our sins are forgiven, killing people and all this wiping up all this, might as well we also kill those people who killed our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Jews. And that's how they ended up going against the Jewish people, killing almost everyone. And that's how it ended up. The temple system coming back. Because, because the holy man said so. That is the will of God. The holy, so-called the temple system was back. The temple system was back. It was just a church version because there was a holy place still, the church. There was a holy text only accessible to the pope or the priest and the bishop. And there was this holy man telling everyone what to do. And then holy or hardworking followers, they will just receive instruction and they will do whatever they say. So you see, that was the moment. That was, the, that was a relapse. The scripture was only accessible to the holy man, the Pope. People don't have the access to the scriptures. But you remember, you should remember this date, right? 1517, we celebrated also five, five, five years, sorry, 500 years of Reformation. It's called Reformation because uh, the, 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 you know, Martin Luther and the rest, 
they wanted to reform the church. They wanted to reform the church, and that's the Reformation. But at the same time, you see, the people in the Roman church, uh, they saw these people, Martin Luther and the rest, as protesting against the Roman church, and so the name Protestant came about. So Reformation, Protestant, uh, is about the same along the line. Now, Martin Luther, a Greek scholar, so when he studied the scripture, of course, he find no sort of a message as what the pope or the bishop, the priest would do. And especially with regards to salvation, <laughs> Martin Luther is like, I find nowhere that salvation is by works. In fact, salvation is by faith alone. And he started to... Uh, propagate that and he was excommunicated by the Pope. But he didn't care much because he didn't believe that the Pope has the authority to excommunicate any, every, anyone. And so uh, uh, the, the, the whole Reformation came about and, and, and Martin Luther started to, 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 to translate the, the Bible. William Tyndall started to translate the Bible and they started to distribute to as many people as they can in their own region to the point that actually um, uh, William Tyndall, remember William Tyndall was executed because he was trying to translate it into the English Bible. But that was how the, the scriptures were, were, were spread and no more only the holy men in the holy place, but all of the general Christians, they had the copy of the scripture. And it was so powerful because as Martin Luther said, he said something along the line that a simple layman with the word of God is more powerful than a king or an emperor without it. And true enough, the scripture was like a weapon. Okay, so there are five solas that came about. Sola fide simply means only by faith. That's what Martin Luther said. And another one that I want to address is sola scriptura. Sola scriptura means only by scriptures. This is what you, all, you and I, we all believe at the same time along with the reformers. And what is this? Simply is this, that the church or the pope or the priest, they do not have the authority. They do not have the final say, but it is the scripture that has the final say. We all believe that even today. It is not what I say as your pastor. It is not what the leaders say of this church. It is not even what you say. It is what the scripture says. That is the final, that is the final authority. Why the scripture says? Because the scripture is basically the word of God and the word of God determines what is full and final. We all believe that even today. And that was what they propagated. It's only by scripture, only through scripture. Scripture has a final authority. And that was the reason they kind of distributed, they made uh, accessible for the general public to have the Bibles in their hands. And that's why the translation happened and it was rapid. And so that's when the church, the Roman church, lost the power. The holy man lost the power because now people can read for themselves. And the Reformation went on like that. But guess what? There was another shift in this good thing that happened. Reformation, the Protestants that came out, it was a good thing. But do you know that there was not only one group of ref Reformers? from one to two to three to four to five, ten to thousands. There were different kinds of reformation. There were different groups. And because of all these different groups, today we have a different kind of denominations. So that's where we go back. 
You ask, huh, why are why the Baptist, Presbyterian, all this? Why why all these denominations? Huh, why? It goes back to that. In the time of Reformation, they all split. And you know why they split? Why we went on our own way? Because the way we love one another was so different. The way one group loved uh, 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 others, the way, the, the, the way another group loved the enemies, it was so different. No, unfortunately, no, that was not the reason. The reason why Reformation started to split is because simply the Reformers, they have their own way of interpreting the Scripture. So the key, the, the main, the main, one of the main reasons why they split is because everybody says, no, this is not how it is interpreted. No, when Jesus said, this is what it means. No, 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 this theology is not correct. No, 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 this theology is not correct. No, 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 that doctrine is not like that, it's like that. No, 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 we don't believe in the pre-millennium. Oh, no, no, we don't believe in our millennium. All this kind of thing, then we split. So you see, it was a good thing, but it was, again, we went back to the old system in the Constantine time. Right believing, right doctrine trumped right living and right love. And that's what happened. So along the way, the greatest tragedy of all from the fourth century up till today even, today, the tragedy of all tragedy that along the way, that which was the most important thing, that which was of the greatest value to God, got lost along the way. Love got lost along the way. Love got lost. Now, we are not, of course, we are not suggesting that we don't have to believe the right stuff, right? I mean, come on. That's a common sense thing, right? And I hope you are, not, <laughs> you are not trying to interpret my message in that way. I'm not saying right believing is not needed or necessary. It's very much needed and necessary. But not at the expense of that which is the most important thing to our Savior, which is love. Love. <laughs> Imagine if Jesus Christ was around today. Or if Jesus Christ was around the 4th century up till today, around that time. What do you think Jesus would have said? What do you think? I'm sure Jesus would have repeated what he said to his disciples then. Jesus would say, huh? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Guys! my followers, my ecclesia. They know Jesus, but they're believing that you are not the son of God. You are, oh, oh, because you're not. I know, I know, I know. But don't you remember how I love my disciples? Now, remember, Jesus was at least with his disciples for at least for three years, remember? And some of them were very, 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 very close. One of them is Peter, right? And then, Whatever Jesus taught, all the theology that Jesus tried to teach them, did they get it? No. They were like stupid. It's like Jesus would always say, huh, you still don't understand? They're like, Allah, you know, if Jesus were somewhere Singaporean or whatever, you know, this, Jesus would have gone mad. 
And guess what? After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the disciples, it was said that they finally understood everything that Jesus said. Remember? Now, can I suggest, can I tell you this? The disciples, when, when, when it is said that the disciples understood everything that Jesus said, it was not so much about the knowledge that, that, that motivated them. But you know what they saw? What the disciples saw? The disciples saw the patience. The disciples saw the love of Christ for them. Despite the fact that they cannot understand and they always get the things wrong from Jesus, even if Jesus was so close to them, but Jesus was still patient, Jesus was still forgiving. Listen, Jesus even went ahead to die for their folly. And so when they saw that, their hearts began to melt. And that's why they committed their life to follow Jesus all the way. And they died for Jesus. And they fear not to die because they know if their Savior is risen from the dead, they too shall rise from the dead. So that's the picture here. Just as I have loved you, you didn't get right, but I still love you. I know things are important, and I was quite rough. I was quite stringent about some of the things. You all know that, right? Yes. But at the end of the day, what was my undergirding way of leading you all? Love. So just as I have loved you, love one another. Because by this, everyone will know that you are truly my disciples if you love one another. How about the Apostle Paul? One of the greatest apostles, the apostle that is said to be indisputable apostle in the first century. No one can dispute. Forget about Christians, even non-Christians, historians, atheists. No one can dispute this guy called Apostle Paul. And we saw last week, he's made it very simple. The only thing that counts, he would have said to us, he would have said to the people, he would have said to the Constantine and then everyone, the Reformation, Reformers, everyone. The only thing that counts, the only thing of value is your faith. I know that you want to show your faith. But no, you don't show your faith by building churches. You don't, you, don't, you don't show your faith by doing all this stuff in the name of right. Your faith in Jesus. It only matters if it is expressed, if it is demonstrated, if it is worked out in a visible action that is love. I mean, how simple do you want other than this? How about Peter? The closest disciple to Jesus and one who didn't get it at all. He even denied Jesus three times and he even kill, almost killed himself in a sense. If you were to ask Peter, I think Peter would have grieved. Peter would have said, oh, because he simply said this, have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. That's all that matters. Learn. You see, brothers and sisters, can I, can I tell you this? Over the years, you see the Christian. I think we have been very good at keeping the right stuff at the right place. 
we have done very good. After the third century, we have done all that we did very good was really elevating the name of Christianity. The right doctrine, right belief, there was nothing wrong in that. But the only wrong thing was at the expense of what was really important, and that was love. And in the first three centuries, did they believe the right stuff? Yes, they did believe the right stuff. They died believing for the right stuff, if you want to compare. But after the third century, everything spiraled down because the old temple system came in, in the version of the church. And, Paul, and Peter said, love one another deeply. And guess what? That's what we can do. That's what we are called to do. So the question is this, my brothers and sisters. With all this, it's so simple, isn't it? I mean, what is there about Christians? What is there about Christianity? What is there about the church that the world should resist? I mean, come on. Jesus made it so simple that everything reduced to one single verb, love, that is applied to God, expressed in our love for one another. I mean, how simple that can be. And who can, who would want to resist that kind of system? Why, why do we go back? Why do we relapse to the temple thinking system? When it was so clear, when we saw the first three centuries demonstrating that kind of life, how come from the first se four, fourth century onwards spiraled down and we kind of like put in, brought back the temple system? Why? And I think the reason is because there is a little temple system in all of us. I think there is a little temple system in all of us. Now if you're thinking... Well, pastor, I don't know about you, but for me, I don't think this applies to me. I don't think I'm new. I don't have any temple system. <laughs> just to help you, there are many, but let me just point one or two uh, here. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt guilty for not attending church worship service on Sunday or some important Christian service that happened? Have you ever kind of felt guilty about that? Aya, you know, I know I should, but aya, I didn't. Aya, I made an excuse. Aya, I should have gone, actually. I should have not gone to the pub, but aya, I should have, you know, aya. Somehow you felt guilty. Have you ever felt guilty for missing the, the Sunday worship service, the Bible study, the small group, or whatsoever, more than you feel guilty about how you ill-treat someone? That's a temple system in us. We feel more guilty about not attending church worship service, not doing some Christian stuff. More than feeling guilty about how we treat everyone. More than how we treat the strangers every time we go to work and some people take our seat, push us or whatever, say nasty thing, and we also treat them badly. And we don't feel guilty about that. That's a temple system in us. How about this? Every one of us, I believe, uh, have failed morally in some ways, right? Maybe you have extra affairs 
or an, another affair or affair, whatever that is, or some kind of morally, you fail morally with someone. You know that. Now, when you fail morally, here's my question. Were you more concerned about what God would do to you than what you did to that person? Were you more concerned when you fail morally with someone? Were you more concerned what would God like? Oh, God, I'm so sorry. Wow, this, I shouldn't be doing this. Like, I'm so sorry. It's like, Lord, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. Lord, your grace is enough. Your grace is sufficient. Yes, you died for my past, future, even my future sin. Hallelujah, I'm forgiven. Yes, Lord, right, right, right. Okay, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, do more Bible study, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to do uh, better things. Okay, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm sorry. You are, we are so concerned, you are so concerned. Then the person that actually you sin with, you don't care about that. But you're more concerned about, you're more scared, you're more apprehensive about how God will deal with you, about the sin that you commit with someone else. That's a temple system in us. Do you have this attitude, you know, Aya, those people. <laughs> Aya, these people, you know. And Singapore is a, is, is a nation where this, this, this attitude comes naturally, right? Because we have multi-racial, uh, you know, it's, it's a multi-racial place. And so... Ah, yeah, this Malays, ah, yeah, these Indians cannot tahan. These Bangladeshi cannot tahan. These Filipinos cannot tahan. These Chinese cannot tahan. Wow. It's like they are like that. Ah, yeah, they are very selfish. Ah, yeah, ah, yeah. What? They are like that. What? Ah, yeah, they are from China. What? Ah, they are from Filipino. What? Ah, yeah, they are from that country. What? They are from Indonesia. They are from Malaysia. What? Ah, those people. Remember, Jesus was telling a parable that there this, 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 this guy came into the temple and said, Oh God, I am thankful. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. I am thankful that I am not like this beggar. This beggar stinks and it stinks to you, I know God. I am not like him who is a sinner. I am thankful to you, God. This But whose prayer was heard? It's this. Who said, forgive me, a sinner. If we have that attitude somewhere, somehow, I are this type. I are this kind of high-rise people. I are these workers. That's the temple system in us. That's the temple system in us. Do your belief system come in your way to love others? You have like different belief system. Oh, this is my principle. Wow, this is my, I am a man of principle. I am a man, I am a woman of principle. Like I believe in this, I cannot. It's like, forget about loving. Do your belief system, do your principles come in the way to love others? Do you care more about yourself than others? Some of us, especially, you know, those who are in the ministry or those who are helping out one another, 
Like, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I'm so, you know, I, I just, I forget about them. I forget about everyone. There are many. There are many. But I believe, I believe this, that there are some little temple system in all of you as much as there is and there are in me. So the question is, why? Why is that so? How come, how come we can believe in Jesus Christ? How can, we, how can we become Christian and still have this temple system? How can we be Christian and still bring back the old system that Jesus has done away in our life? How? Why? And I think one of the main reasons is this, that you and I have not fully and totally grasped the gospel. The reason is because I think you and I have not fully and totally embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is simply this, that Jesus died for you. You don't deserve for Jesus to die, but he died for you anyway. It is the most basic thing, but this is the starting point where we don't develop, where we don't establish in this basic temple system is going to come back. It's just a matter of time. It is just a matter of time. Jesus died for you. And guess what? If Jesus died for you, he is what? Say with me. For you. One more time. If Jesus died for you, he is for you. If someone really dies for you and, and, and he dies or she dies because of his or her love for you, brother, sister, that person is really for you no matter what. So, so quit, quit, quit. Stop worrying about how Jesus thinks about you. You are fine. Because Jesus died for you. You are fine. Jesus is fine with you. Remember, in the temple, um, this guy was bringing the offering to the temple. And then Jesus said, and along the way, suddenly, if you remember that you have something against your brother, what must you do? Go to the temple anyway? No. He said, put this, this sacrifice there. Go to the brother and resolve. Then you come back and you offer the sacrifice. In other words, God can wait. God is patient. God can wait. God is fine with you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. He even forsook. He turned his face away from his son for you. Do you think he's not for you? Do you think he's not fine with you? He is fine with you. What he's telling us is, don't worry about my relationship with you. It is sealed. Go and think about your relationship with other people. Go and think about how you treat other people. Because it is about your faith in Jesus that is expressed itself through love. Here's my concluding thought. 
imagine. Imagine with me. Imagine if God's love for us and for the people around us. God's love is not only for you, by the way. It's also for the people around us. Imagine if God's love for us and for the people around you and me inform our conscience and influence our behavior. Imagine with me. Imagine beginning from tomorrow. Everyone here, tomorrow morning as we wake up, imagine God's love. God's love for us and for the people that we are going to meet today inform our conscience because our conscience has been manipulated, corrupted, kind of mixed here and there with the old system. But imagine God's love, the gospel of Jesus Christ dying for us, out of his love for us, inform our conscience, shapes, and influence our behavior, the way we view them, the way we treat anybody that we come across. Imagine that. What will happen? Just imagine with me. Imagine that all of us, beginning from today, that we resolve ourselves, that we are not going to rate our relationship with God by how much and how regular we are in attending the worship service every Sunday. Although that is important for us, for our own benefits, yes, that is important, but that is not how we rate our relationship. What if we resolve to say, no, that's not how we're going to resolve. That's not how we're going to rate ourselves. It's not how much we know. We are not going to relate our, rate our relationship with God based on how much theology we know, how much doctrines we know, how right I am in my theological understanding about Jesus Christ, about the Holy Spirit, about the God the Father, about the church, about the eternal destiny. Well, so many things. Just imagine if we were to decide, imagine if the whole church were to decide, you know what? We are going to stop rating our relationship with God based on all those good things and we are going to just rate our relationship based on how we are going to view and we are going to treat one another, and we are going to treat others. Imagine. And by God's grace, as that happens, and when that happens, and until that happens, the world will know that we are Christians by our love. Yes, they will know we are Christians by our love. Not by how much, uh, not because uh, you go to church. They will know you are Christian not because you go to church every Sunday. They will know you are Christian not because during the weekdays you are committed to the small group life. No. They will know you are Christian by your love. They will, not, they will not know. They will not know just because you, you, you have a great uh, a theological perspective. They will know you are Christian not because you have a Christian values. No. They will know you are Christian not because you wear a cross necklace. Or because you, you show them reading Bible from the U version. Or you talk Christian. Or you go against homosexuals. Or you go against any sin in the world. No. 
but they will know you are a Christian by your love. Yes, by your love, they will know you are a Christian. And brothers and sisters, that's the way Jesus Christ made it. That's the reason why Jesus Christ came on earth and died on the cross and rose on the third day so that you and I can live this life, life that is filled and expressed through love. Love trumps everything. And when love, we're not talking about any world kind of love, but the love that Christ showed for us, that same love, when you focus on that love, the rest is a commentary. The rest are details. You think that if you focus on the love of God through Christ, you will not be upholding truth? No. In fact, if you hold on to the, tru to the true love of God for us, the truth is there. So yes, that is possible by the grace of God and through the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And I hope that this is something that we will aspire to journey together. So Father, we thank you for hearing our cries to you as we imagine to really let your love for us and for the people around us to inform our conscience and to shape and influence our behavior in the way we view and treat others. And yes, O oh Lord, help us that by our love, yes, only by our love, for you expressed through our love for one another and for others that they will know the world will see that you are truly our savior you are truly the god of love and through us oh lord they too shall experience your love for them thank you for hearing our prayers in your name amen shall we all rise for the song of response